All righty. <clears throat> well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see everybody today. And um, once again, I commend your perseverance. <laughs> it is baking in here, but let me tell you, it is not as hot as it is outside. So everybody said amen to that. We are cooler in here than we are outside. And because of the kingdom of God, we also get to escape the eternal fire. And we'd like to remind you of that too. So here you go. <laughs> it is good news that we are in here today together. And it is um, so great to worship with all of you. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Roland Fisher. I'm the uh, senior pastor here. And I'm bring, bringing the word of God today. So um, we are going to jump right in because uh, a lot of people are sort of wondering what this uh, new title means, Joshua Generation. Joshua Generation. And, um, you know, whenever I was uh, growing up in, uh, I guess, first New York, but then mostly Charleston, South Carolina, before I moved to uh, North Carolina, going throughout the uh, church world, going and visiting friends' houses, um, and spending the night at their houses. That's the only time I went to church. Anybody like me? Like you sort of went to church when you were with friends, but besides that didn't go? Okay, well, that was me. Okay, and so I would hear titles like this sometimes, and I was like, Joshua Generation. Now, what does that mean? What in the world does that mean? Well, what we're talking about when we're talking about Joshua Generation is we're coming off of the heels of a great conference that we just experienced in Orlando, Florida, where it was our network of churches and um, church planting churches uh, throughout the world. About 80 nations from around the world came together and were celebrating all that God was doing to lift up the name of Jesus, bring people to Jesus, and advance the kingdom of God throughout the world. And so with that in mind, there was a great charge to us to not uh, forget that which we as the people of God are called to do, which is to be disciples and to go into all the world and make disciples, right, of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded. Now, whenever we think about that, though, I, I like to think that both the Old Testament and the New Testament give us a picture of what it means to actually fulfill that commission. And everything that we have in the Old Testament is a foreshadowing of what we see realized in Jesus in the New Testament. Okay? So what we see from beginning to end, Genesis to Revelation, if you've ever read the Bible before, it's all testifying about this Savior, Jesus, who would come and lay down his life for the salvation of the world. And so as Christians, we can receive encouragement no matter what we're talking about, right? From the message that's proclaimed to us in both the Old Testament scriptures and the New Testament scriptures. And so today and over the next several weeks, we're going to be talking about the Joshua generation, because in the Bible, there was a man named Moses, which many of you are familiar with. How many of you have ever heard of Moses before and heard the story of Moses leading the Israelites out of their bondage to the Egyptians into the promised land? Well, eventually Moses, I don't know if you know this, Moses started his ministry when he was advanced in years. Moses started his ministry when he was 80 years old. So if anybody ever feels like you've missed the call of God on your life and feel like you're behind the gun, be encouraged. Moses started at 80, so you're a young buck, 
okay? And you've got plenty of time to fulfill the call of God as you turn to him and obey the good news of Jesus, right? He continued for the next 40 years until he was 120 years old, but then eventually Moses, as all people do, died. And a successor of Moses, who was a young man at the time named Joshua, rose up after being mentored and discipled by Moses, and he was appointed by God to lead them into the promises of God, the life and the promises of God, to take possession of the land that God had in fact promised them. And so what we're going to talk about is the Joshua generation. What lessons can we learn as the people of God to go in and take possession of the life and promises of God that he has for us? And to do so, we're going to start off talking through this series today about God's first charge to his people, which is to be strong and courageous. To be strong and courageous. That if we're going to be the people of God who come into the life and purposes of God, God gives us a charge to be strong and courageous. And we're going to talk about it today in three parts. Number one, understanding our land. Number two, understanding his word. And then number three, understanding his great command. Okay? So number one, understanding our land. Number two, understanding his word. And then finally, number three, understanding his great command. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word to us today. God, we're asking you that as you've given us your word, you would help us to not only believe it, but to live it as your people in great courage and great strength in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Okay, so if you have a Bible today, you can open it up to Joshua chapter 1. If not, you can look on the screen with us today. We're going to start with the first verse. It said, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, of the great sea toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Third time now, be strong and courageous." Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So many of us uh, last week just actually were encouraged by 
a, uh, not only the message last week, that for those of you who are here, did you enjoy and were you encouraged by the message? Okay, it's a great time. And then after the message, we were able to go to Sarah Baker's house and have an evangelism training, talking about how to share the good news of Jesus to a world that so desperately needs him using the SALT method. And for those of you unfamiliar with the acronym, it's basically when we have good news in our hand, we want to, number one, S, start a conversation. Number two, A, ask questions. Number three, which is hard for Christians, listen, right? And then, right, and then number four, and on the heels of all of that, tell the story, right? Tell the good news of what, who Jesus is and what he's done for you. But in the midst of that, we've got to understand that as God has sent us to be his ambassadors into this world, he's called us ultimately into a land, He's called us into a place where he's called us to be influencers of the culture around us. As Pastor Cole was talking about, we have three C's, Christ, community, and culture. And wherever we are as ambassadors of Jesus, we are ambassadors for the good news of Jesus and the kingdom of God. The land that he gives us, though, is a constant theme throughout the scripture. In the Old Testament, you see that the Israelites were given what was previously known as Canaan, today known as modern-day Israel, as an inheritance where they would set up shop and the worship of God in that place. As Christians, we are dispersed to the highways and the byways, to the nations, to bring the kingdom of God and the gospel wherever we set our feet. And so we see that land and the place where God has you has always been important to God. And if we're going to advance in the promises and the purposes of God, we've got to embrace the land that we find ourselves in. Some of us have come here because of school. Some of us have come here because of work. But what we know is that we're in a city center that whether we like it or not, we're either going to influence or it's going to continue to influence the world around us. We're either going to insert the gospel into the people's lives and see their hearts and minds radically transformed by his grace, or to the contrary, the kingdom of darkness is going to continue to advance when the people who don't know God are continuing to spread their message, their life, and their influence. It's going to be one or the other. Does everybody realize that? It's either going to be the kingdom of God moving forward, or it's going to be the increase, as Jesus talked about it, of wickedness in the world, which will ultimately lead to the love of not some, but most growing cold. But in a Joshua generation, we're a people who ultimately say, listen, that might happen at some place, in some place, and at some time, but not on my watch. Not on my watch. On my watch, we're going to be the people who respond in faith to God's commission and his charge to live the good news and to also minister it in a place that it affects the culture around us. So number one, in life, God will give you the land of your own soul as well as the places you set your feet to grow the influence of the gospel, spreading the good news of the kingdom of God. When he's talking about land... Physically, he was talking about land in the Old Testament, a physical land. But when we're in the New Testament, he's talking about two things. Number one, the land of your own soul, right? That he says the kingdom of God that everyone's looking for, it begins where? Not externally, but internally within you, right? 
And when you are born again, when you are made a new creation by Jesus, he plants his seed of the Holy Spirit inside of you. And then he describes the kingdom of God like leaven. And if anybody's a baker in here, anybody a baker in here? Come on now, come on. Don't tell me I'm the only one with a sweet tooth in here. It's sort of like when you are baking, you're hoping that the leaven works itself through the whole batch of dough, just like Jesus talked about, right? And in our souls, there may be things that God has called us to initially. When he said, repent and believe the good news in your life, some immediate things came to mind, did they not? Whenever you first came to Jesus... Can you remember the things that you initially were turning from so that you could turn to the life of God? How many people could remember some of those things? For me, it was my party and lifestyle, right? It was my party. It wasn't hard to understand the things that God was calling me to turn from so that I could follow Jesus and walk in his way. But then over the course of time, there was an increased measure of things that as I was getting to know Jesus, as I was getting to know his ways, he was putting his finger on and he said, it's not just your partying ways, but it's your attitudes. Anybody ever have God put his finger on some attitudes you had? Okay. Or the way that you treat your spouse. Anybody had somebody put their finger on the way you treat your spouse before, right? Jesus, the Holy Spirit, right? So all of a sudden he says, there's a land that I want you to conquer for the kingdom of God internally, right? But then there's also an external influence as you work out your salvation the scripture says, with fear and trembling, then what spills out of you begins to influence that which is going on around you. And that's also the land that we find ourselves in, in the kingdom of God. Land is important. So there's both a personal aspect and a private aspect. D.L. Moody said it this way, if personally you are ready to partake of grace, you have not to atone for your sins. That's good news, right? What he means by that is is that if you are going to come to Jesus and conquer the land of your own soul, which ultimately is going to liberate us and free us, he says, you don't have to do it by works. You merely have to accept the atonement. All that you want to do is cry, God have mercy upon me and you will receive the blessing. That's the good news in here today. If you've come to God and you've tried to work your way to him before, you can stop. He said the only way that you're going to receive his grace and begin the conquering of your own soul is to cry out for mercy. And is that not good news to people in here? You can actually say, Jesus paid it all for me and I'm crying out, God have mercy on me. There's nothing else I can add to this message that's going to reconcile me to God. So conquering my own soul starts with me just appealing to what he's already done for me. But in the midst of that, there's not just a conquering of your own soul, but every effort that you make moving forward to advance in the promises and purposes of God, you've got to understand whether it be in your marriage, with your child rearing, with your ministry, with your finances, with your career, as you try to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, it will ultimately be met with demonic resistance. Demonic resistance. How many people have ever tried to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, change the things that were going on in your own soul, and felt there was an unseen force resisting you? You are trying to relate to the world and your spouse and the opposite sex differently, right? 
But then there was a force that was also trying to come against you. Well, the good news is, is that as we look into the scripture, we see that we're not met, we're not called to meet this resistance on our own. Thus, we need the cross, Christ's forgiveness for his payment on, this, on, on the cross for our sins, and his ever-present help in our time of need to advance his kingdom in our own soul. What that means is this, that God, again, said in Joshua, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Part of the gospel is, not just does God call us to do something, but he says, if you're going to accomplish it, I'm going to be with you to accomplish it. And so he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you, so be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous as we're trying to conquer our own souls and be an influence to the world around us. Now, when we talk about being strong and courageous, that one speaks to me just quite frankly, as, as a man, okay? Be strong and courageous. Whenever I came to the church initially, I saw it ultimately as largely feminine. Do you know what I mean? Meaning we have strong women of God who are constantly around us, praying for us, crying out for the kingdom, right? We had uh, talking about like God's going to give you um, every place where you set your feet. We had our women prayer walking, taking ground, right? In the spirit yesterday, going throughout the city, crying out for God's kingdom to, be, um, to come and for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. But I didn't see much of a masculine presence that was trying to serve God. Anybody grow up like me, like wondering where the men were? Come on now. But whenever I looked in the Bible, I saw something that talked to both men and women. He said, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. And now that's both the men and women, right? Both the men and women, be strong and courageous. But that appealed to some sensibilities about me. And if I was going to take some land in God, I had to understand what it is that he was talking about when he talked about being strong. And it's a Hebrew word that was chizak which had its primitive roots, meaning such things as these. That if God's giving you part on pl on plans and purposes that you're to fulfill in Christ, he wants you and is calling you to fasten upon these um, plans and purposes. God might speak something to you, and he says, listen, I've called you to do this in your industry, or I've called you to be this type of witness in your family, or I've called you to leave this sinful lifestyle and live free in the kingdom of God, right? So to do that, you've got to fasten upon it. You've got to hold to it tightly as if you're holding on for dear life. When God's giving you a charge, be strong. It's not a passive sport, right? If you're going to work out the kingdom of God in your life, you've got to do it actively, not passively. The word also means this, to seize, to repair, right? If there are cracks in my faith or in my soul, when God's commanding me to be strong, I've got to look to him to repair the areas of my soul that have cracks in it. He's talking about to fortify yourself and to obstinate, right? which is the root of the word obstinate. Anybody by nature obstinate in here? Come on, you can be honest. It's like, listen, I am hard-headed by nature. Hard-headed. But I thank God that he can sanctify that and use that for kingdom purposes. 
Whenever he calls me to live a certain way and accomplish something for the kingdom of God, I can be hard-headed about it, right? There is a hardening of heart that God tells us not to live in. Whenever he was calling the Israelites out of Egypt, out of their slavery, he said that Pharaoh constantly hardened his heart whenever Moses was speaking to him. That he was giving him instructions, but he would not listen and he hardened his heart. That was a bad hardening of the heart, right? But how many people know there's also a good hardening of the heart? When you have some resolve about you and say, on this point and on this promise, I will not move. Whenever God's given me a promise that I could be set free from my sin, that's a promise on which I will not be moved. When God is, when I'm believing for healing in my family, physical healing, and I, he said literally that by the stripes of Jesus Christ, I've been healed. Guess what I'm, I am about that promise? Obstinate. And I'm standing on the promise of God and I will not be moved because God has made a promise that he wants to fulfill. There's a hardening. There's an obstinance where he said, be strong, be courageous, and I'll bring you into your land. But it's not only that he talks about publicly everywhere you go because Christ is in you and the fruit of the Holy Spirit is working through you. You become the thermostat and not the thermometer in your environment. How many of you have one of these in your home? Okay, a nest, right? You probably right now see, you know, you're not you're sitting here, but it's going down for you right now. Right. Cooling the temperature in the place. Most people, though, in our culture, how many people would agree, act as thermostats? What they do is they just comment. They're pundits. They comment on what's going on around them. Whether for good or for bad, they're constantly talking about the egregious sins and the egregious evils that surround us in our culture. That's being a thermometer. What God's called us to when he calls us to be strong and courageous is actually a thermostat. And what a thermostat is, is what? It sets the temperature in any room that it's in. That meaning because you are a carrier of the presence of God, he says, I'm going to be with you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. When you show up in an environment, whether it be at work, whether it be with your family, whether it be with your neighbors, he's given you grace to change the atmosphere you find yourself in. That's the good news of the gospel. He says it starts internally, but then it works itself out externally when we stand on his word to be strong and courageous. Joni Erickson Tata, she actually said it this way. The only way you're going to do it, though, is by knowing God and Jesus, his grace. He says because God doesn't just give us grace, he gives us ultimately Jesus, the Lord of grace. And that's a big difference, right? He doesn't just give you commands that are to be obeyed, but he gives you Jesus, the one who enables you to fulfill those commands. And the problem with dead religion is that everybody's trying to fulfill the commands of God in their own strength, rather than coming to Jesus, who gives them grace to fulfill that which he commands. He says, come to Jesus, the author of, and the perfecter of your faith, and this Jesus will change you. Well, how does he change you? He changes you not just through his 
interaction with you, but also through his word. Going back to verse 7, whenever we look in Joshua, he says, only be strong and very um, courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go, right? Many of us remember the uh, parable that Jesus gave about the vine and the branches, right? He says that if anybody wants to bear fruit in Jesus, we must what? Remain in him relationally, and his word must remain in us. Because if that happens, he says, you'll bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. This is what Joshua is ultimately foreshadowing. I mean, God's talking about Joshua foreshadowing, ultimately giving us a picture of. It was Lee Strobel who wrote the great series, uh, The Case for Christ, The Case for Faith, The Case for the Real Jesus, The Case for a Creator. He talked about the Word of God this way. He said, if Jesus is the Son of God, his teachings are more than just good ideas from a wise teacher. They are divine insights on which I can confidently build my life. The culture that we find ourselves in is in the pursuit of two things, right? Pursuit of happiness and the pursuit of what? Pleasures, right? Pursuit of happiness and the pursuit of pleasures. Not realizing that the very thing that they're looking for is found in God's word. God said, if you want to be prosperous and successful, obey my word. And to do so, we need to understand that it's not just feeding on the word of God that will keep us and give us the strength to pursue his purposes, but it's also dieting from the things that will also sap that strength. When he says be strong and courageous, he's talking about a workout regimen, is he not? How many of you like spend a little time in the gym in here? Anybody at all? It could be the gym of your own home. It could be the gym of walking the streets, that's fine. Okay? Okay. So like, listen, you, you move, right? You exercise. But how many people have ever tried to get their Chicago beach body before and found themselves in the gym continually going at it, right? But as soon as you went home, you replenished the fuel that you just burned off with Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> that has been my downfall. I've been like, listen, I work hard today. I need to go to fire cakes and, you know, <laughs> reward myself. Does not work, Right? So what happens is is that you put all this effort into being strong and courageous, but then you also fill yourself with entertainment. You fill yourself with relationships. You fill yourself with interactions that at the same time sap the very strength that you were trying to build. And when he's talking about be strong and courageous, he's like, know what you need to stay in the zone. How many of you have a trainer? Probably two people, right? I know at least two people in here. Have a trainer, right? They are on you telling you. I don't have one, obviously. But it's like, they're like on you saying, listen, when you leave this place, you cannot eat that. Anybody ever been yelled at by a coach before? 
We all need coaches. I believe in sports in here. We all need somebody who's going to yell at us, get in our face sometime, and tell us what we can and cannot do to help us achieve. Hello? And when you don't have it, sometimes we're just soft. Not just soft internally, but soft physically, right? And God's saying, be strong and courageous by not only knowing what you're putting in you, but what you need to keep out. The question is, what are you consuming that is short-circuiting your progress? If God's calling you to be strong and courageous and have an understanding of not just your land, but his word, you've got to ask yourself, what are you putting in you that's short-circuiting your progress in him? What is it that you're feeding on? What is it that does not lead to the life and purposes of God in you? If you can identify it, then you can get it out. We need to not just acknowledge God, but give Jesus the reins of our lives. People back in 2005 were always singing that song, Carrie Underwood's Jesus Take the Wheel. Anybody remember that? Jesus Take the Wheel, I'm going off-road. It's like now Jesus Take the Wheel. You know, all these things that I used to, I was about to play it on iTunes, but listen, it's it's not loud enough. But there was a man named Winky Prattney where it's like, he said, listen, if you're going to obey God's word, you've got to give him the reins in your life. God does not guide those who want to run their own life. How many people have ever asked God for direction before? Anybody in here prayed and said, God, help me understand where I need to go and what I need to do? But found that in the midst of you asking, you got an answer you didn't like? And then you were like, asking again, (laughs) right? (laughs) Thinking that God would somehow change his mind. Well, the problem with that is that God says, I am the Lord who does not change, and I'm the Lord who doesn't change my mind, right? And when you're obeying his word, you've got to understand that he's not going to guide those who want to run their own lives. He only guides those who admit their need for his direction and rely on his wisdom, We all want the blessings, but we don't always want what it takes to get them. Allowing Jesus to be the Lord and master of our lives. Now stick with me on this, please. The Lord and master of our lives. That's a religious term that a lot of times people have just pass over them. Jesus being Lord and master of their lives, right? It's almost like a, a title that we give him. But they don't live out its implications. When Jesus is talking about being the Lord and master of our life, what that means is he's in control of our decision-making. Our decision-making. In both grand things and small things, we are his servant to do his will. Where I live, what I do with my time, what I do with my finances, what I do in my relationships. When Jesus is Lord... That literally means I'm obeying him in the decision-making. Proverbs chapter 3 exhorted us this way. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In how many of your ways? All. Does he say in some of your ways? Does he say in your preferenced ways? No, he says in all of your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. What kind of things, Lord? He says, be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. And evil is anything that God says is not good. By his word. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. 
It says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits, not the leftovers, but the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. He's talking about the daily decision-making that we have. We are ultimately stewards of the time, the resources, and the talents that God gives us. But often, we are still in charge of our own ships in the way that we live, right? We're not talking about nomenclature here. We're not talking about calling yourself Christian. We're talking about the practical outplaying of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, What it practically means is that our decisions are submitted to him. Our daily decisions are submitted to him. In our relationships, in our careers, in our pursuits, in how we use our time, it's his. Let me tell you what a man named Timothy Keller said. If any of you enjoyed the message from last week, uh, Pastor Pshemek told me that you can look at um, the, sort of the totality of it in one of Timothy Keller's books called Making Sense of God, right? And it's part of a trilogy where it's sort of the, pre, um, the prelude to another book that you might have heard called The Reason for God, which gives evidence for Jesus and Christianity, right? And then he finishes with one book called The King's Cross. But this is what he says in Making Sense of God. He said, individuals could profess to not be secular people. And when we're talking about secular people, we're talking about without an acknowledgement or an adherence to God and his ways, okay? That's what, how we're defining secular right now. He says, people, individuals could profess to not be secular people to have religious faith. Yet, at the practical level, the existence of God may have no noticeable impact on their life decisions and conduct. This is because in a secular age, even religious people tend to choose lovers and spouses, careers and friendships, and financial options with no higher goal than their own present time personal happiness. Sacrificing personal peace and affluence for transcendent causes becomes rare even for people who say they believe in absolute values and eternity. Even if you are not a secular person, the secular age can thin out or secularize faith until it is seen as simply one more choice in life, along with job, recreation, hobbies, politics, rather than as the comprehensive framework that determines all of life's choices. That's a mouthful. It'll be on the website. (laughs) But do you hear what he's saying here? This is the danger of the Christianity that we live in today. We're nominally Christian, We even acknowledge his word, but we pick and choose. We're at a buffet, right? We pick and choose that which we'll submit to. We pick and choose that which we'll be faithful to. Difference between submitting and submitting faithfully, right? 
It's one thing to be faithful to my wife today. How many people know she expects me to two months from now too? <laughs> right? I'm going to be faithful today and two months from now. I'm going to be faithful when it's convenient and when it's not convenient. This is the challenge of secularized Christianity in the world in which we live. We've got to acknowledge the land, his word, and then ultimately come back to his command. Verse 9 of Joshua, he again said, the third time, have I not commanded you? Have I not commanded you? Which implies lordship. Which implies his leadership in our lives. Not just we're appealing to him as our savior, but he's in charge of our lives. He says, have I not commanded you? Commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And so ultimately, we think about this and it's like, I'd like to give God the option of running my life and making my decisions in both big things and small But on my own, I feel like I can't do that because I'm driven by fear or I'm driven by need or I'm driven by the pressures around me that constantly are facing me or I'm driven by even a relational need that I have that I haven't had fulfilled yet. And the good news of the gospel is that he is Emmanuel. Over and over again, he's talking about not just his sacrificial death, burial and resurrection from the dead, but that he's Emmanuel, God with us. And this is what he reiterates here. To actually live in this way, being strong and courageous to accomplish the promise and purposes of God over your life, you need a sense of God being continually with you and continually looking to him in that way. We will all try and fail at some point. Is that not, is that not true? We have all tried and failed to do what's right at some point. So often our confidence in moving forward, though, is based on a sense of being able to achieve perfection. Perfection. But we've got to embrace in the gospel that the only perfection that we'll ever see is in the person of Jesus. The only perfection we'll ever see is in Jesus' finished work for us. And if we're constantly looking to him to not only meet the requirements of God and his commandments, but also empower me to set me free to obey him after I've received him, then we'll be able to become more and more like him. Jesus alone lived that perfect life and now offers grace and forgiveness to those who had abandoned their self-sufficiency. This is the challenge. Abandon their self-sufficiency and fall on instead the grace of God the grace of God, and the strength of God. Last quote, and then we're done. There was a man named Charles Spurgeon, who you often hear me quote, who tried to encapsulate the gospel. Great charge, be strong and courageous, right? Be strong and courageous. But God, ultimately, my response to that is, that's fine, be strong and courageous, but I need your help, right? I can't be strong and courageous to fulfill your promises and purposes without you. And this is what Spurgeon said. He's not calling you to self-sufficiency. He's calling you to Christ. To be strong and courageous, he's ultimately calling you to the person of Jesus. And if you've ever heard some motivational message or some 
you know, self-like help program that's always trying to get you in your own strength to be a better person, ultimately it's going to fail. But when you come to the all-sufficient Christ, he'll change you and empower you to do that which he's called you to be and do. There's a difference. And this is what Charles Spurgeon said. Christ not only supplies the necessities of his people, but he gives them abundant and superabundant joy in the luxuries of his grace. And we know that the Bible says that the joy of the Lord is our strength, right? So when he says be strong and courageous, he's filling us with joy to actually walk in his strength. Good news, right? Good news. He says you do not really preach the gospel, though, if you leave Christ out. If you're only talking about do it on your own, be a better man, be a better woman, be a better husband, be a better parent. That's not the gospel. He's saying, come to him, fall on him, and he'll remake you. He says, if he be omitted, it is not the gospel. Continue on. You may invite men to listen to your message, but you are only inviting them to gaze upon an empty table unless Christ is the very center and substance of all that you set before them. And so ultimately, he says, be strong and courageous, but I'm going to be with you. Do what I said and go into the land, but I'm going to be with you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Accomplish my will, and you're going to do it by my hand. And without Christ, it will not be done. So ultimately, we will all die and give an account to God of how we've lived our lives. And at the end of the day, what we want to say is my all in all has been Christ. From beginning to end, through faith in him, he is my confidence, he is my joy, he's the reason for my living, he's the reason for my being, and he's the reason that I was able to accomplish his will in this earth and to the nations in his mighty name. In his mighty name. And which is why he says, Peter, when he was preaching, repent. Turn away from your self-sufficiency. Repent. And believe the good news. That times of refreshing, refreshing might come from the Lord and that he might send you Jesus, even the Christ. And regardless of where you find yourself today, that's what he has for you. Understanding your land, understanding his word, and understanding his command, which can only be fulfilled in the person of the risen Son of God. Amen? All right, let's have the worship team come back up. And what we're going to do is we're going to ask you during our moment of communion to really answer this question. What is it that I've been making my decisions with? Have I been self-sufficient in my decision-making? Have I been building on anything other than Jesus? Or have I literally given it all up to him? So that when I proclaim him as Lord... He's actually working out in my life and through my life as Lord of not some, but all. And if you haven't done that, now's an opportunity to meet him at the cross and allow him to change you today. Amen? All right, let's rise to our feet.